Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, if you would like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning in your Bibles to Mark uh, chapter 14. We're going to be looking this morning at verses uh, 12 through 31. You can follow along in your own Bible, in the Pew Bible, in the bulletin where it's been provided for you. If you're more tech savvy, you can pull it up on your phone if you'd like to do that. Uh, We'd love for you to follow along if you'd like to do that. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. Uh, My name is Sean Slade. I'm the pastor here, and we are so glad to have you because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. For instance, you could be at home watching WandaVision and having your mind blown, especially once you get to episode four. The whole world changes, and it's amazing. Uh, Or you could be at home uh, writing letters uh, to Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, begging them to come back again next year. They're basketball players at the University of Tennessee, and we'd love for them to come back rather than go to the NBA. That's the point there. Or uh, you could be uh, at home as a UT student watching Silly Goose TikTok videos, which supposedly have gone pandemic uh, and not viral, but pandemic. Anyway, (laughs) this is not going to go well this morning. Uh, But I do want to welcome you uh, to our little corner here on the 17th in Highland. Uh, And whether you're joining us here in the fort or whether you're joining us from home or whether you're joining us from an Airbnb in Cape Town, South Africa, we really are glad that you're here. It's good to have you with us. And the reality is that there's nothing better that you could do with your time than worship Jesus, uh, to consider his kingdom and to think about his claim upon our lives. And so I do want to welcome you this morning. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And uh, what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together uh, to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. And so we go to basketball games, we sit around fire pits, we read the Bible, we pray together, all so that we can remind one another of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, and to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University, Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire world, right? That's who we are, people who are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that during this season of Lent, we're continuing on our series on the kingdom of God as seen through the lens of the gospel of Mark. 
Um, that's really fun to say fast. And then, uh, but we're focusing in particular on that last week of Jesus's life, that, that week we call the Passion Week. And so this morning, what I want us to consider is the faithfulness of the kingdom or kingdom faithfulness. So with that in mind, let's look together. Mark chapter 14, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 31. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. The disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to one another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man to have not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are a God who's not hidden, uh, nor are you silent. But you're one who is faithful uh, to make yourself known to your people. And it's our prayer now that during these few moments, uh, you would speak to us and you would teach us that you would attend unto us so that we might see lovely, beautiful, beautiful things in this your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The other day I was rereading one of my favorite books. It's uh, A.A. Milne's The World of Winnie the Pooh. And one of the beautiful things about this book, I think, is the way the narrator engages the characters of the story. And so while the narrator is introducing us to Pooh and telling us who Pooh is and where he got his name and where he's come from and all these sorts of things, Piglet gets upset. And Piglet looks up in his squeaky little voice. He says, well, what about me? And uh, I don't know if that's exactly how he said it, but that's how, you know, what about me? And the narrator says, my dear Piglet, the whole book is about you. 
And Piglet squeaks, no, it's about poo. And the narrator goes on to explain that to us, the reader, that, that Piglet's jealous. And uh, that Piglet's story is to be understood in light of Pooh's story. And then all the other characters begin to chime in and they say, well, what about us? And the narrator decides it's time to just get on with the book. And that's the way the introduction ends. It's beautiful. And, and one of the things that I love about this introduction is that it, it seems to me that we're all a little bit like Piglet when it comes to Christianity. We want the story to be all about us. But just as we come to understand Piglet and Rabbit and Owl and Roo and Tigger and Eeyore in light of Pooh, um, we can only understand ourselves, uh, we can only understand one another, and we can only understand this world in light of God. And I think that this is really important for us because Christianity is first and foremost about God before it's ever about you. Christianity is first about God before it's ever about us. It's about what God has done, right, before it's about what we're supposed to do. In fact, we'll never even really be able to understand uh, who we are, what the world's about, what we're supposed to do, unless we first come to understand God and what he has done. That's the point of Christianity. That's the point of the Bible. It is all about God. It is about that he is faithful. And so this morning, what I want us to think about is this idea that Jesus is faithful. All right, Jesus is faithful. Would you say that with me? Jesus is faithful. And the reason I think that this is important is because we so easily want Christianity to be about our own faithfulness. We want Christianity to be about what we do. And so when we hear about Jesus' faithfulness and all that he does, we begin to squeak like Piglet and we say, well, what about me? And sadly, we want to think about ourselves and not him. And we then begin to define Christianity by all the things that we do and all the things we think and all the things we ought to be about. We begin to think about Christianity as a nice set of good advice or a good way to live in this world. But Christianity is most fundamentally about the faithfulness of God. It is most fundamentally about Jesus' faithfulness. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm, I'm not saying that Jesus' faithfulness doesn't have any implications on our lives. Of course it does. In the same way that you're in a relationship with a spouse or a friend or a child or your boss, all those relationships have uh, implications upon your life. And so, too, uh, does God. God's faithfulness to you. God's faithfulness to his world, his faithfulness to himself, his faithfulness to his world, those all have implications for our own life. But again, Christianity is first and foremost not our faithfulness. It is God's faithfulness. And that's the point of this passage, that Jesus is the faithful one. That Jesus is faithful, and I think this is important because if we are honest the thing that we all recognize about ourselves is that we have been unfaithful. We have been unfaithful. 
but Jesus remains faithful. And one of the sad things about our passage is that everyone is falling away. Jesus' closest friends are falling away. Those that had promised to be with him and to endure to the end with him. Those who had promised to love him and serve him and usher in the kingdom with him. Those who had been serving with him these last three years. They're all beginning to prove their faithlessness. They're all beginning to fall away. And you see this in verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, if you've ever been around Christianity, or even if you were with us last week, you know that the one who will betray him is Judas. But what's really amazing to me is verse 19. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And by asking this question, they seem to imply that each of them recognize that it could have been them. I would venture to say all of them at some point had thought about leaving. All of them at some point had wondered if it was worth it. All of them at some point had thought about giving in. I mean, especially as things were getting tough. As, as the cross was beginning to loom larger and larger, as the conflict was increasing, as the Roman soldiers and the religious elite were beginning to exert themselves against them. And surely they had all wondered, is it going to be worth it to like hitch my wagon to Jesus? Will it really be worth it to be with him, to follow him? Will following Jesus actually be good for my career? <laughs> Will it be good for my life? And it seems like they're sad, right? It says they're sad. Why are they sad? Well, they're probably sad because Jesus is going to be betrayed. But I think they're also sad because they know deep in their hearts that it could have been them. And it wasn't just Judas who proved himself to be uh, unfaithful. It was all of the apostles, all 12 of them. Notice in verse 12, I mean verse 27, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And and Peter hears these words, right? And Peter's appalled at them. He's angry by these words of Jesus. And he says in verse 29, even though they all fall away, I will not. And you hear in these words, in, in, this, in this like confession, this pronouncement of like faithfulness and courage and confidence, you hear this self-confidence in him. And he's as if he's saying like, I will never be unfaithful. I would never fall away. I would never be weak. Like those chumps, Andrew, Bartholomew, like surely they'll fall. But not me. If you know the story of Peter, you know, I mean, Peter was definitely committed to Jesus to his end. If you know the story of Peter, you know that he was excited about the kingdom and you know that he proves himself at times to be unfaithful. You know that Peter here thinks he's the strongest and the best and he would never fail. And Jesus says, oh, my dear friend, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. 
Peter and the others, they hear this and they chime in. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. So they've moving from this like sadness to this like self-confidence. But, it, but if you read on in the text, you know that in verse, uh, that just 12 verses later, um, Judas betrays Jesus. If you keep reading on, 20 verses, uh, the sheep begin to scatter. If you read 35 verses further, Peter begins to deny even knowing Jesus. And this is the inner ring, right? I mean, this is the band of brothers who are beginning to scatter. And despite their real desire to prove themselves to be faithful, at Jesus' most trying moment, fear and faithlessness grip their hearts. And they begin to scatter. Now, before we wag our fingers at them, uh, let's just be honest. Uh, we're no strangers <laughs> to faithlessness. Uh, none of us have ever uh, been as strong as we have proclaimed. And many of us, to our shame, have found ourselves weaker than we ever thought we were. We shouldn't really be that surprised. I mean, the Bible's told us this about ourselves. I mean, it's been the testimony of the Bible in Romans and Psalms. Like, there's no one righteous, no one, uh, no, not one. All will fall away. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And that's the point of the passage. That though we fall away, though we have been unfaithful, God remains faithful. It's even built into the structure of this text. In verse 17 and 21, you, you read about the, faithless, uh, the faithlessness of Judas. You move down and, and you look at verses 26 through 31, and it's all about the faithlessness right, of all the disciples. But there sandwiched in the middle in verses 22 through 25, we see the faithful one. We see faithful Jesus. And even in the structure of the text, it's telling us that Jesus is faithful. That Jesus is faithful. Would you say that with me? Jesus is faithful. And what's amazing is in this passage is that God isn't surprised uh, by their faithlessness. He knows. He knows that this is the way it's going to be. He knows that only God is faithful. And so in the end, he knows that he will be alone the faithful one. And I want you to notice that everything in the passage happens according to God's word. Verse 16, they found it just as he had told them. Notice verse 20, he said to them, it is one of the 12 who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written of him. See, Jesus wasn't surprised by the betrayal of Judas. He, and he wasn't surprised because Jesus understood his life fully in light of God's word. The way he understood himself and the way he understood what he must do all flowed out of the scriptures. And so as the end begun, begins to draw near, he, he knows Psalm 41, 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my... Bread has lifted his heel against me. 
But not only that, verse 27, and, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Again, a, a direct quote from Zechariah chapter 13. It shows us Jesus knew that everyone would leave him and he knew because he knew that God was always faithful to his word. That God always does what he says. And he knew that behind all of this was his faithful father. And so he would remain faithful to him. And so when the disciples uh, see these circumstances, when they see the darkness of the plight that they're in, when they experience the trials, when they're afraid of the danger and the opposition that is rising up against them, um, they fall away out of fear that God won't remain faithful, that God won't be with them. And yet Jesus sees behind the fear, he sees through the fear, and what does he see? He sees the hand of his heavenly father who is proving himself to be faithful. And because he sees the faithfulness of his father who loves him, he remains faithful to him. And I think that this begins to help us understand the point of what we now know as the Lord's Supper or of the Passover meal. Because the Lord's Supper isn't merely a final meal with his friends. The Supper is actually God's promised faithfulness in edible form. The point of the Passover is to say that God is faithful. And so Jesus takes this supper, he takes this Passover meal that all of them knew and that all of them had probably celebrated every year of their life. He takes it and he gives them the bread, he gives them the wine and he says like, uh, eat it. This is all about me. I'm the faithful and you will fall away, but I will remain faithful. The table tells us that Jesus is faithful. That Jesus is faithful. When you fall away, Jesus remains faithful. Jesus is faithful. Would you say that with me? Jesus is faithful. Now to understand this particularly, you need to look at what Jesus says in verse 24. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Now, when Jesus makes this statement, this is an incredible comment that he's making because what he's trying to do is uh, he's giving in this meal a picture of what the whole Bible is about. And what is the Bible about? The Bible is telling us on every page that God is faithful. I want you to bear with me because I'm going to try to tell you the story. You might remember the way this story begins. It begins like this. Uh, in the beginning, uh, God made the heavens and the earth. And everything that God made was good. And everything that God made, he made by the word of his power. And God spoke all things into being. And so what God said actually then happened. What God said came into existence. And so when God said, let there be light, there was light. When God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, there was an expanse in the midst of the waters. When God said, uh, let there be waters and dry land, there was water and there was dry land, right? When God said, let there be stars and moon, it was so. 
And then he said, let the waters swarm, right, with living creatures and let birds fill the heavens. And it was so, right, sharks and minnows and birds and bees and hummingbirds and barracudas because God said it and it was. And then he said, let there be creatures on the earth that roam the earth. And there were lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and it was good. And what God had spoken happened. And so he says, it is good. My word is being obeyed. My word is being, you know, I'm being faithful to my word. And then he said, let there be man, male and female in my image. He spoke them into being and When they came into being, it was not only good, but it was very good. Now, while the entire creation was obeying God's word, humanity rejected it for a lie. When the entire creation was obeying God's word, Adam and Eve rejected it. The serpent, as you know, comes in, the evil one comes in. And what is the lie the evil one tells? The evil one tells us that God is not faithful. That God is not faithful to his word, that God can't be trusted. And so if we want to live and move and have our being, then we must live uh, and listen to ourselves. We must be the ones who determine what is good and what is evil. And uh, after we were unfaithful then to God's word by eating the forbidden fruit, God then cast us out of the garden as a judgment, as our judgment, uh, as a judgment for our sin. He casts us out, he placed this cherubim, sort of like an angelic kind of heavenly being. And he placed a flaming sword there at the entrance to the garden. And, and the sword was the symbol of, of judgment, of justice. It was this symbol that was saying to, to us that the only way to come back into the presence of God is through the shedding of blood, that something must die. But, but God uh, loved what he had spoken. God loved his word. He loved what he had made and he desired to be reconciled to it. He desired to be restored to it. And so God called a man named Abraham to himself and he, and he told Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to be your God and I'm going to be the children of your God and you're going to be my people and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land and you're going to dwell with me in that land once again. And Abraham said to God, this is amazing, how will I know that you're going to do what you say? And, and, God, and God could have said, I'm God. <laughs> I always do what I say. But God in his kindness, we're now in Genesis chapter 15. God in his kindness um, accommodated to Abraham. And he gave a physical kind of ceremony to make a covenant, a promise, right? That was visible for Abraham so that he would know that God would be faithful to his word. And so God said to Abraham, hey, Abraham, go get a heifer and get a goat, get a ram, a turtle dove and a pigeon, And Abraham went and got these animals. He then sacrificed them, uh, the spilling of their blood, the shedding of their blood for man to come into the presence of God. He took those carcasses and he uh, put them over against one another. And the purpose of this was to communicate uh, the covenant relationship between Abraham and God. And it was as if to say, look, if one of us is unfaithful to our words to one another, 
May what happened to those animals then happen to you. Well, God then caused this deep sleep to fall upon Abraham. And this is amazing. And God said uh, to Abraham, I'll be faithful to you and to your offspring. Your offspring are going to be carried away into a foreign land and they will be slaves for 400 years. I will hear their cries and I will deliver them and I will bring them out to dwell with me in the land. I will be faithful to my word. And then God, who, because Abraham has been put asleep, Abraham then passes through the sacrifice, I mean, God passes through the sacrifices by himself. As if to say, even though you, Abraham, and your offspring will be unfaithful to this covenant, I will remain faithful. Come to the end of the book of Genesis, and Abraham's offspring are in Egypt, in a foreign land. You turn the page, you get to the book of Exodus, and those children of God have become slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and they're suffering, and they're crying out to God, and they're asking God to remember his promise, to remember his people, to deliver them, and to be faithful to his word. And that's what the book of Exodus is about. The book of Exodus is all about God being faithful to his covenant promise to Abraham. And so God rises up and he delivers his people from Egypt. He delivers them from their slavery on the night of the Passover. We're now where we are in, our, in Mark. Jesus and all of his friends are celebrating the Passover in verse 12. Now what is the Passover? Well, the Passover is the defining moment in Israel's history. And it's the defining moment not merely because God's people were liberated from slavery in Egypt, which they were and was great. Not the slavery part, but the deliverance part. Uh, but it is also the celebration that God is faithful to his covenant. That God is faithful to his word. And the Passover was a public declaration to the world that Israel belonged to God. And that God was faithful to Israel. That God was their God and they were his people. And so on the Passover, you remember that God goes to Pharaoh through Moses and says, let my people go. Tonight, he says, I will pass over and all the firstborn of Egypt will die. Then God goes to the people of Israel and he says, I'm coming to deliver you. I'm coming to save you. And because I'm coming into your presence, uh, there must be a sacrifice. And so you must sacrifice uh, a lamb in the place of your firstborn. And you must put blood on the doorpost of your house so that when I pass over, I will look down and I will see the blood and I will recognize you as my children. And so that night in Egypt, in every home, there was either a dead lamb or a dead son. So in the morning, Pharaoh wakes up, his son has been taken, his son is dead and he's grieving and what does he do? But he lets God's people go. 
And God delivers his people just as he had promised to do. And what I want you to see here is that the point of the Passover isn't merely liberation. It is liberation, but it's liberation because God is faithful to his word. And that's what Jesus and his friends were celebrating. They were celebrating God's covenant faithfulness. That year after year, they would offer these sacrifices to remind them that God has been faithful to his covenant. And so year after year, month after month, day after day, as these sacrifices were being offered, they recognized that the sacrifices were being offered in their place. And the point of this was that someone had to die for our unfaithfulness. And so every time a lamb was killed, it was killed so that we wouldn't have to die. It was the blood of the animal rather than our blood. And this is huge because uh, so often we think of our God as a, you know, people think of our God as a bloodthirsty God, but the, the opposite is actually the truth. God does not want to shed your blood. He does not want to take your life which is why he provided a substitute. A substitute who would die in your place so that we might dwell with him forever. Right? The sacrificial system was a way for God to proclaim to us and to the world that he would be faithful when we are not. And that's what the supper was all about. They sat around the table, not just to talk and hear about the faithfulness of God, but to taste it, to ingest it, to eat it and to drink it so that they would be reminded that it was Jesus who was the Lamb of God shed, whose blood was shed in our place. That they would eat the meal to remind themselves that God is faithful. And so every week we come to the table to be reminded that Jesus is the faithful one. That Jesus is faithful. Say that with me. Jesus is faithful. Well, come with me to the table. We're still having uh, like technical difficulties. Uh, but come with me to the table and let's uh, take a little bit of a closer look. Because here at the table, what we see is that Jesus has set a table to remind us that it's all about him. He set a table to remind us that he is faithful when we have not been. And he sets this table to say to us that all of your history and all of your religion and all of your longings and everything that you have been about is met in me and come to this table so that I might show you my faithfulness. I want you to go back to the text that we've been looking at. And I want you to notice that it's Jesus who does everything. In verses 12 through 17... Jesus made the preparations and he just said, go, I've prepared it. I want you to notice that in verse 22, it's Jesus who took the bread. I want you to notice in verse 22, it's Jesus who blessed the bread. I want you to notice that in 22, he broke the bread. In 22, he gave the bread. And in verse 22, he said, this bread is my body. I want you to notice that in verse 23, he then took the cup. In verse 23, he then gave thanks. In verse 23, he then gave the cup. In verse 24, he then says, this cup is my blood. And then I want you to notice that in verse 25, he makes a vow. He makes a promise. 
He says, I'll not drink again until I drink with you in the kingdom of God. And the whole point of the meal is for Jesus to say that he is the faithful one. That Jesus is faithful. What do the disciples do in all of this? (laughs) They're faithless. They fall away. But what do they do at the meal? They receive. They eat and they drink all that Jesus provides for them. This meal is reminding us that Christianity is most fundamentally not about you. It is about him. And it is that God is faithful. And he proves that in his son Jesus, who gave himself for those who have fallen away. So that he might bring them back to himself and feed them with himself and save them for himself because he loves you. Therefore, I invite you to rise and to lift up your hearts.